Are we recording? Oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Like, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour. Like, you're good by the next day, as long as you had a sandwich and a net. Okay, on today's outdoor version of Spiral Out podcast, well, for me anyway, uh, <laughs> we're going to do, oh, is that Nad Dog? The, the Nads. <laughs> I remember when Kendra called her Nads. I'm like, Kendra, I think you need a new name for Dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, where were we? All right, so today's episode's theme is um, one we've done before called Change My Mind. Uh, in our preliminary discussion, we've decided Tom is going to be the only one to dis- to present his point because uh, it's a good point and a big point. And after Tom's done, we'll uh, we'll just discuss it for the remaining time. All right. Um, so my topic that I changed my mind on was that uh, belief in the program is sometimes more important than the program itself. Um, I always knew that like belief in the program was important, but I would invest more time in trying to create this perfect program rather than, you know, listening sometimes to the client or like taking their feedback. And what I noticed was that people would skip certain parts of training that they didn't like. And sometimes they didn't like it because they were bad at it. And some of that stuff's usually erg stuff. It just happens to be um, what gets skipped a lot. And then um, sometimes even easy, easy runs that I would prescribe. Sometimes people would jump in on the class workout after because they felt like it wasn't hard enough or they felt that uh, the run wasn't long enough. And so like an example, like something that kind of happened, it didn't exactly happen like this, but the client had some erg training that I had programmed and they skipped it because the class was doing chest to bar Mary and they felt like they needed to do that because uh, they hadn't done chest to bars in a while because we weren't prepping for any upcoming qualifiers or competitions. And then they actually ended up giving themselves like a arm rhabdo is what I was calling it because for the next three weeks uh, I had to adjust training. They couldn't do pull-ups. They couldn't do um, any gymnastics that involved pulling at all. And um, so what I started to do was I just started to, um, instead of assuming that people are going to just follow me blindly, I listened to what they believe that they are good at or bad at, especially when they're starting out. And I asked them, more so for feedback on training than I used to. And then I try to find this good mix of their weaknesses and their strengths, um, especially if they're not a competitor. Um, and then I try to, you know, give, give the training the priority of, of their weaknesses of say developing aerobic capacity through ergs and whatnot. And then also still giving touches of workouts that look like CrossFit and I'll get a, from that, I found that I get a better compliance and they start to believe that I have their best interests in mind. And then I can slowly start to put more emphasis on their weaknesses and start to take some of those things out that we don't need to focus on. So if they, you know, squat 500 pounds, but take 10 minutes to run a mile, then obviously we need to put more emphasis on their running. And sometimes they're like, well, I'm going to get worse at squatting if I start to do that. So you got to try and you can talk to them sometimes, but sometimes it's not enough. Just telling them like you, you need to run more. You got to stop squatting so much kind of thing. 
So anyway, that was what I changed my mind on is just putting more time and trying to develop their trust and listening to what they think as well. And kind of having that guide the training in a little bit. Okay. So I think that's one, um, two, like two things come to mind. There are one, the topic that we're on today, what you're talking about is trying to way to create, uh, adherence to your program and, and belief in your abilities as a coach. Um, so that's a, let's start with that. Like what's some, what's some things that you feel like are important to do to create adherence, uh, and engagement with clients in their, in their program, knowing that it's not necessarily, uh, the best, uh, the best thing for them to be doing given, um, the assessment you have of them and their goals. You want me to start or? Yeah, anybody. Okay. Well, for me, I, like I said, I just, I definitely list, ask them, I ask them what they think about the training, um, what they liked, what they didn't like, what they found hard, what they found easy. And then I kind of use that information. <laughs> Why are you covering the can? <laughs> that harmonica? Water. Um, anyway, so yeah, I just um, take that feedback and then I try to um, use it to, to design the training, to have some things that they like, but also maybe aren't great at, but they need it. Because if I try to just force them to do a ton of erg work, even though that's what they need, they're not going to always follow it if they feel I'm not giving enough attention to barbell cycling or if I'm not giving enough attention to toast to bar or that kind of thing. So. Yeah, that's a, yeah, it's, it's a, I would say I'm very much aligned with you on that and the way I used to do it versus the way I do it now and just understanding, uh, having a much, much greater understanding and appreciation of um, having the client be fully engaged and invested in what they're doing will always lead to the best outcomes. So if that means we have to give a little bit more than we probably would want to in terms of what they like to do, um, it becomes necessary. It becomes a very necessary component of the training uh, to give a little bit there to get a lot more out of them. Um, and I guess that's you think there's a difference. Do you think there's a difference there between people who are competing in the sport of fitness versus people who are just training for, you know, general health, you know, cause we have, we have combination of both, right? We have people in the gym who are just being there cause they like that style of training, but they have no desire to, yeah, I'd say people that are competitive are much less likely to do that. In my, maybe yeah. in my experience, anyway. if I just think of the clients I have, they're more likely to adhere. To do exactly because as, they realize. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was getting. Well, at. Whether that's whether that's their just demeanor and that's just a character trait of people that end up really trying to be competitive, um, or if that's a or if that's like a a, uh, a characteristic that people should strive for. Uh, that want to be competitive is to go, why do I have these urges to do whatever the hell I want to do? Um, like, why is that happening? Is that maybe that's just who I am and I got to be like that. Or maybe I have to find a way to change my behavior. Um, because it seems like all the people I want to be like, don't do that. Jason, any comments on things? Well, I think there's tricks you have there's two, two ways. One of them is like what Tom was saying, where it's, you essentially give a a candy coating to the medicine you give them a little bit of fun stuff to go with it um yeah. and also just if someone doesn't like doing something 
like I, I don't like doing some stuff. I would say you you tend to avoid it, but poss- possibly because you're not good at it. So if you're able to build the feeling of success into your progressions, then you're generally going to have a lot more um, positive results with that progression. So if you're going in there and you're always smashing your head against the wall or you're, you're telling people, some people are fine smashing their head against the wall and it will help them get better, but slowly progressing where they feel successful doing it, then you're going to have a lot more compliance than go do your row repeats because it's good for you. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So then the next thing I guess with there with, um, unless do we have any more comments just specifically on it, on adherence. Yeah, I was just going to say one thing, like, I know with certain clients that come on board, like one question I'll, I always ask is what's important to know what they're currently doing for the training prior to them reaching out to you. <clears throat> and oftentimes people, whether they're working with another coach and they just want to change or whether they're doing something on their own, get an idea of what they're doing and what their structure is. Um, a lot of the times you'll, you'll find that a lot of them don't have a, t- a ton of structure and they're just kind of, it's kind of haphazardly they kind of thrown together. And so just explaining, okay, based on what you've told me thus far on your performance metrics and your work, you know, your work capacity numbers, your strength numbers, without even seeing you move, I can tell you, this is probably what a priority in your training is going to be. And this is what it's going to look like very, very generally. It's kind of probably going to be laid out something like this. And this is why And explaining that to them. I think if they haven't heard it before automatically, they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And there's like, that initial trust is kind of um, initiated, I find. And then they're more likely to kind of adhere to the program. And then obviously as you continue to work with them, even if it's things that they don't like, there's ways that you can kind of program it and maybe hide it in there. Or even it's just from the, the previous conversation you had in the consultation where you, you just emphasize the importance of it, um, that they, they're just more likely to buy into it. Any comments on that? No? Yeah. No. No, Tom? Nothing? No. Okay. So, um, yeah, the next thing would be, uh, I guess, along Tom's line, which was uh, still connected to this, is hopefully through adherence, or maybe one thing that adherence set suggests is trust and belief. Um, and that topic of both the, like the the client competitor athlete whatever you want to say um that they trust what they're doing they believe in the process that's occurring uh and it's not that they don't question it but they don't question it in a combative format it's a it's a question they question it in terms of a um, an educational format meaning they want to ensure that they're doing things as well as possible for their best interest and to do as you're asking them, as opposed to questioning it because they think they know something that you don't, or they think they have a better idea than you do on a certain thing. Um, Yeah. Okay. So in those situations, let's just start with that. Let's start with uh, questioning or asking questions or, uh, about the reasoning behind certain aspects of the program or, um, or making suggestions as to way things could be better. And how do you deal with that? Um, 
I can just go to like my experience when I reached out years ago for some assistance with programming. Um, <laughs> the, the whole reason I did it was because I, I, I personally recognized that I was not uh, advancing in certain areas. So I reached out to an expert because there's no way I'm objective. Even if I know a lot about the subject, I'm not objective. So I'm going to bias my training around certain things. Um, you like as an athlete, I temporarily had to completely suspend all this idea that I knew as much as this person I was asking for help from. Um, that's a super important thing as an athlete. And then if you do know a significant amount about the subject matter, but as a coach, uh, it's very, very individual about how you talk to somebody. Cause I, I've had clients that ask a lot of questions and it's like, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, this is going to take hours to go into if you really want to know, but I don't really want to go into it for hours. So here's yeah, so like just along that. So one, if the question they're asking has a long answer to it, um, but two, let's say you provide that answer, yeah. is it ultimately helping them? But that's the other thing. Like, so I think some, some people it does. Yeah. Some people it does help. But if it's a repeated, like you were saying earlier, if it was like a repeated challenge to what you're telling them, then it's basically as an athlete, they're not suspending their, their, they're not giving the agency to you as a coach to guide them. They're not. So. Yeah. And like I was saying with my, I guess the, the dichotomy there being um, asking questions in terms of understanding and in terms of making sure they're performing it to what they want uh, of themselves and then uh, performing it to the standards that they think you have of them just to make sure everything's being done as written and done as asked versus them asking questions as a way to challenge authority type thing or to try to, like I said, to try to be combative. So Scott, Tom. Um, yeah. I mean, in my experience, I think, <clears throat> I alluded to it earlier before we started recording, like, you know, I, I've had clients in the past who, you know, they, they do want to know why they're doing certain things and they want to be kept informed of why this progression looks this way in one cycle versus this way in another cycle. Um, and after having a couple of those conversations, in my experience, those conversations pretty much all but stop once they kind of realize that you do know what you're talking about. Um, what they're doing is, you know, specific to them and, and they see that tangible result of improving. So that whether it's, you know, now, now that trust has been developed and they feel like, you know, they're in the right hands and they don't have to continue to kind of ask those questions. Yeah. I think it's more so out of, I think it's more so, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's, it's more so out of, out of trust and ensuring that they're getting the best service they can for themselves more so than it is for personal knowledge in my opinion so my experience. Yeah, along with that i would all, i would say my most successful clients and by successful clients i mean the relationship with most successful and in terms of basically what they're doing what they're trying to achieve has been successful are the clients that almost in general don't ask those questions they don't ask me those questions they don't, they don't, they don't ask me like, how come I'm not doing this? 
they give feedback on how they're doing and what they want to do coming up. And then as the program unfolds, they do it. And then they ask for clarifications. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't ask, they don't, they don't, yeah, they just don't, they seem to have this trust in it and this belief in the process. And just over the course of 10 years doing it, those seem to be the people uh, that end up being most successful. Um, and again, it's not to say that they, they're just, they just go along to do whatever. It's obviously we've established some type of trust with that. Um, but it seems like being at peace with what you're doing and truly letting go of you trying to have control of things and letting go to someone else. And like, like I was saying earlier, just let kind of like just opening the doors and letting people in and going like, okay, here's who I am. You do whatever we need to do. I'm going to trust everything you do. Um, that by far is the most successful strategy and the most successful combination. I thought the questions take on a, a different type of form. I found it's like, what should I do if, or how do I, instead of why am I, or why am I not? Yeah. Yes. So there's still questions. I still love the questions. It's just, they're very different, very different questions. Yeah. I mean, working with you, Michael, I don't think I've ever really asked questions for um, a reason of not trusting you. If my questions that I've asked you, it's always been uh, about like week, coaching uh, questions. Last week you asked if DT was five rounds or one round. Yeah. Like, clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. But yeah, so no, I'm just saying like those types of questions are the questions that I ask you or if I come to you, I'll ask you like coaching questions like, hey, I have this situation. Yeah. What would you do? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like this is what I did and you know, that's it. But yeah. I never ask you like, why are you giving my training this way? Like, why am I doing this this way? I, I try not to. And I think you told me that too. You said when, you, when I started coaching, you said, uh, whatever you do, don't start to analyze your training. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah. And then like that, that's the other part of it, right? Is that, um, which I've said to you before, Tom, is that like, I don't remember the, the numbers are exact, like half of what I give you are, is things I know and half of what I give you are things I think. Yeah. Right. Um, because like, again, if the idea, if, so, if someone's going to, tr- if someone's going to post something and say like, my, the entire program is science-based. I'm just going to tell you your program sucks. It's junk because it is It's going to be junk because you're going to have to try to find a way to prove all this stuff you're doing. And there's no way you can do it. It's impossible. Um, so you have to have a good base of knowledge of understanding of how to try to manipulate these variables and still adhere to principles. Um, but a lot of it is exploratory because there's a, there's a huge art to coaching. It's not, it's not specifically a science, right? It's the yeah. art, it's art and science. Um, and that's part of it, right? Is that you can always find flaws. Anybody's program that posts anything in CrossFit, if you give me five minutes, I will point out the flaws in it. Even but, our own programming from like it doesn't mean two it's, years yeah. ago. Like in, with my own program, I'm like, I, I'm yeah. writing things going, this is not exactly the best way of doing it. I know that, but I don't know how really how to change it right now. Um, and, but that's okay. And the problem is like, if you're, que- if you're, que- if you're asking questions of the training you're doing to be combative, you're already, you already have a problem and you need to almost quit who you're working with or stop asking those questions because it's extremely easy to find problems. Now that's not to say that pro- some programs don't deserve uh, questioning, right? Because 
um, I'm sure just by nature of it, there's what, 7 billion remote CrossFit coaches. Um, so I'm sure at least one of them are going to have programs that don't make any sense. Um, and you should definitely be questioning that going, what the hell is this crap? But uh, if you have someone that you feel is respected and you're, tr and you trust them, you should stick with that initial instinct. Hello. Yeah, we're still good. <laughs> <laughs> My computer cut out. Uh, I, I would agree with that for sure. Um, yeah, I just think back to your point of, you know, being overly combative and in, in the past I've had a client, I'm sure I've had multiple clients that were like that, but this one in particular was quite combative and it obviously didn't work out. Um, cause there's just, he didn't trust, he didn't trust the process. He reached out cause he felt like he needed a coach and needed some guidance and needed someone to be more accountable to it was a very strong willed, I guess, and kind of bullheaded client. And every week he would write me this Cam Jarvis. <laughs> yeah, Cam Charles, yeah. Really difficult guy to work with. Um, but no, he would write me this this huge email about this didn't go that well, this didn't feel right, why am I doing that? Why am I doing this? And the anyway, the, it just obviously it didn't work out. But the big bone of contention was he wasn't great at strict handstand push ups, but he was a very strong guy. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I don't understand. He's like, My strict press isn't strong enough, blah, blah, blah. I shouldn't, you know, that needs to be stronger, so be focusing more on that in particular, and that'll help my strict handstand push-ups. And so it has nothing to do with your pressing ability. It's your, it's your mobility and your ability to go upside down. Mm -hmm. And like my press is 20 pounds less than yours. And I can do 10 times the amount of strict handstand push-ups that you can do because you can't do two. Yeah. And um, anyway, it was just like, <clears throat> he obviously didn't trust what I was giving him. And the relationship was very short lived because of that. But, but no, at that time it was just, constantly sifting through these questions that you email me every week. So it took a lot of time for me to work with this person to try and reassure him that what I was giving him was appropriate for him. But um, yeah, in, in the end, the trust just wasn't there and, and he moved on. And, and again, but that's not that, like I mentioned with my, my last comment, there are definitely times and reasons to stop to like to cut ties with someone if you feel like it's just not in your best interest or um, either like you're just not being heard as a client or an athlete, like if they're just not listening to you or if they're just doing an overall poor job in terms of the basics, like communication, timing of uh, program, whatever. Um, there's definitely times for that. And if you feel like, you know, you just, you, it's run its course or you, for whatever reason, um, and it, it, it may just be the client themselves, like what, for whatever reason, it doesn't mix well enough and you feel like you would try harder under someone else's tutelage. That's fine. Right. Um, but again, the, I think the theme comes back to that. Uh, um, yeah. If you, yeah, I guess, I guess you just summed it up there. Well, Scott, with an example is that like um, you have to understand that um, your coach is a human being and they're not perfect and they're going to make mistakes. I make mistakes at least once or twice a year. <laughs> and yeah, and it's just, it's the way it is. Like, and it's not malicious mistakes. Uh, it just happens and there's no way for it not to happen. That's the human element of it. Right. Uh, but that's also why it makes it so interesting because you're like, okay, there's, 
there's going to be little little downs with this, but there's going to be lots of ups here too. Um, but you need to give people a little bit of leeway um, if you if if you truly want to achieve your potential in almost in basically any one-on-one -on -one coaching client relationship. If you're if a coach makes mistakes, you're going to make a hundred times more mistakes without that coach. Like that, that's a big part of the job, especially for competitive athletes heading into a competition. Uh, don't do 20 muscle-ups right before you do a competition the next day. Stop, like you're stopping people from making those mistakes by, and holding back. I mean, or, do, uh, or do touch and go deadlifts after a back injury right before your comp. <laughs> Did I give you that? <laughs> no, that was uh, Alex Pollock. Oh, that's the thing. It's like I, I, I didn't know about it until uh, until you saw it on the IG. <laughs> until I saw Instagram, I'm like, "What are you doing and why?" I don't know, man. But I, I mean, but I expect some amount of that out of a young, free-thinking individual. Yeah, yeah. I expect some of it. Like, I wasn't smart when I was 19, so I don't expect anybody else to be smart. <laughs> And then kind of another thing I thought of there is the one, like one important aspect. I'm just thinking of one, one client example. Um, this individual, um, like they're so, they're so, they're so confident in what they're doing that when someone rec, if someone recommends to them, you should try this and do this, that doesn't even enter their brain as an option. They're like, well, uh, no, I'm not doing that because that's not what Michael wants me to do. So that's a no. Um, but the, if you just think of that in terms of the athlete's perspective, like how, how, how relaxing is that to go like, yeah, no, that's not happening. I just do this. See ya. Like, just think of that state of mind and going like, yeah, I'm doing exactly what I need to do. What I'm doing, I'm giving my best effort to, and I trust this all with all my heart. So that removes all that removes a lot of anxiety from the athlete. Versus you always having this underlying level of tension and lack of trust that'll just eat away at you. And it'll, it'll just eat away your efforts, right? And while you're doing something, you'll be like, why am I doing this? This is stupid. Instead of just going like, I'm doing it because I'm supposed to. It's just a much different, it's just a much different frame of mind to be doing it in. Um, I'm sure in that example too, like the first time someone came up and said, you know, maybe you should try doing it this way they probably mentioned that to you. I'm like, Hey, so-and-so mentioned that when I saw me doing this, maybe I should try doing it this way. And then simply you just explaining me like, yeah, no, I don't want you doing it that way for these reasons. And this is the reason why you're doing it this way. Then that, right. Then that just reaffirms that, that trust. And so then there's never a question ever again. So when someone brings it up in the future, they're just like, no, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's the, interesting topic right like the most and it's this is a topic repeated amongst many athletes right um but if you like again if you're if you're the person who who has complete trust in what you're doing and you give it uh if you give it 100 percent of your effort you're going to be more successful as yourself versus if you have a better program um or a better nutrition program but you question this stuff all the time and you give 90% effort. It's just, it, the best recipe is to go all in and go hard. Um, and then, then you wanna also have all the other things taken care of well, like good coaching, good training, yada, yada. 
but the base of it is that people need to need to trust what's what they're doing they need to have belief in themselves and the person they're working with um and then start from, and have that be the starting point thanks for tuning in if you like the episode and know someone else that will please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to OptimumPerformanceCalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.